This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. Greetings, everyone, on this first day of a whole new year. Great to be here with you. Great to see you in such numbers. The streets are practically empty, but we are not, thank goodness. So glad to see that. Welcome to all you faithful who've come, new and old. Um, so I'm doing a series, that, uh, that the themes of which Bart suggested. The first one was creation. The second one, which is today, is a bit of a bummer, a bit of bad news. It's the fall. Um, we will try and end on a positive note, but today we are talking about the fall, or maybe you could even say the falls, because there's even more than one. Wow. It's a bit of a hard way to start the new year, but it's part of our story, and if we need to, um, we can always flip to the end of the book and see how it ends, and so we're not going to get cast down and make ourselves miserable, and be stuck in a bad place. But we are going to go through it a little bit, and that's just how it is, because this is reality. We're not going to gloss over what, what happened. So could we have our first little presentation? please? You'll recognize the voice. Oh, except we're not having her voice. What's with her voice? Oh, dear. Oh, that's frustrating. She has such a good voice. Um, could we go back to that clip again and try it again? If not, I'm, I'm not going to be able to imitate her voice. I do not have that perfect diction that she spent 90-some uh, years saying. Oh, dear. Okay, I don't know why, because on my... On my computer, we have her voice. Anyway, I'm sure you know who she is, right? Okay. She's telling us about all the bad news in the world. It's too easy to conclude that nothing is going right in the world. Like war. Plane crashes. Oh, you can just hear her voice now. Earthquakes. Volcanic eruptions. And I love the way she says the word, riots, wars, acts of terrorism, famine, and so it goes on. Every individual and every nation have problems. Welcome to the state of our world. Now, could we have the second clip, please? And I really hope the sound is going to work on this one. Oh, no. Why is... What's this? Oh, my goodness. Okay. This young man is running away from Jack Nicholson's bad news. Wow. It's really frustrating that I have to narrate my own video clips <laughs> that I so carefully prepared for you. But, yeah, it's a fallen world. And this is an example of that. Yeah, yeah. And... Tech has fallen as well, so maybe that's the point of these failed videos. Anyway, most of the rest of what I have to show you on the screen is slides, and they don't have sound, so you get to hear the sound of my voice anyway, and that's fine. Okay, so um, 
the first fall that we are going to deal with is the fall of an angel. And we all know his name, right? What was his original name? Lucifer. Okay, and he's mentioned a couple of times in Scripture. This is Michael casting down Lucifer out of heaven. Some of these are very Renaissance-style paintings, and I don't know what color their skin was, but anyway, let's uh, have more. That is a very famous Gustave Doré engraving of Lucifer falling out of heaven from the 19th century. Another one. That is one of the famous uh, Renaissance painters whose name escapes me, but it's not Hieronymus Bosch. But this is the war between the angels in heaven that led to the, the casting out of a third of the angels. This is a, a Renaissance representation of that. Rather horrible. Okay, next. And there is Lucifer looking down at his, his other form that we know him from in Scripture. Okay, um, now we're going to read a little bit about this character, Lucifer. And his presentation in Scripture is controversial because some of the passages that refer to someone very high up who fell also refer to people, specifically the king of uh, Babylon and the king of Tyre, which were real places led by real kings. But they are both, in, in these passages, they are both called by that name, the king, and they're also described as someone who obviously wasn't just a man. So this one ref references the king of Babylon, and here's our first clue. He's also called, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. There's some satanic pride for you. This is what the ambition of Lucifer was, to be equal with God or even surpass God. And for that, he and his angels were cast out of heaven. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit, those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? Like I said, this is controversial because now he's being described as a man. Okay, the second one is the king of Tyre. And here he's not called Lucifer, but still, the way that he's described is more than just a man. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite and emerald, topaz, onyx and jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. In some translations, he's described as a musical instrument. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, which is one of the kinds of angel. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you. Guardian cherub from among the fiery stones. 
Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out from you, and it consumed you, and I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. This is pretty heavy stuff. Um, like I said, these two passages, and a bit okay, and this this is the the final fate or leading towards the final fate of of Lucifer and his angels from Revelation. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So this is the first fall that we have described in Scripture in a number of separate, disparate passages that are dealing with both kings, who apparently were historic kings, and also with this character called Lucifer, who said, I will, I will, I will. And God said, no, you won't, and cast him down. So the name Lucifer can be translated as morning star. But the name that he was given after he, after, after he was cast out was Satan, which means adversary or accuser. And that's what he is to us. He's the one who accuses us every day sometimes of what we have done and who we are and how bad we are and how we are unlovable and how we are filthy and so on and so on. And he's just filled with rage and bitterness and hatred. And that's who he's become He's become our adversary and our accuser. He accuses us before God. And thank God that we have a mediator who is infinitely higher than he is. Because this angel, this fallen angel, is nothing more than a created being. Yes, apparently, the highest of all created beings. But no longer in that position. And now he's a fallen angel. So now we're going to look at the fall of Adam and Eve because that is the other fall, which has consequences for all of us. Okay, let's look at some slides, please. These, again, are some classical representations, mostly from the Middle Ages, but some a bit more modern, about what this amazing place called Eden was like. The one thing that is common to all of the creatures, including the man and the woman in this picture, is that they are all naked. And the animals still have that state. We don't, but that's how they started out, and they... For them, it was just the way that it was. Carry on. Okay, there's, there's another more modern uh, version of, of Adam and Eve and that, that fruit which is not named, but the fruit which they ate, which they shouldn't have eaten. Carry on. And there's the serpent, and there's Eve, and there's Adam, and the whole, the whole moment of our, of our downfall. She's about to pick that fruit and eat it and give some to her husband who was, who was there. And who did what? Nothing. He was passive. He didn't say anything. He didn't oppose. He just kind of hung around. And yeah, she, she took the fruit first, but she gave it to him, and he, he didn't get in the way. He just let it happen. Again, there's another one. Same, same scene. Here we have a little, looks like a little cherub, but that's one of the, one of the names that was given to, to Lucifer, was a cherub giving the apple to Eve. Again, and they're cast out. The snake at their feet. They're cast out. Now they're clothed because they know that they're naked and they can no, long, no longer walk in naked 
innocence. They're cast out and an angel is put in place with a fiery sword on all sides to keep them away from, from Eden, from the Garden of Paradise. Okay, um, I'm going to read the passage that we've just been looking at. It's rather long, so just listen. Close your eyes if you want to and listen to what was happening. The Lord God, this is from Genesis 2, 2 chapter 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Again, there's no mention of what fruit it was. Traditionally, it's become the apple, but anyway, it's, it's a fruit. Okay, and then we will read Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Well, she gets that wrong. She didn't say anything about touching it, but anyway, you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, which is exactly opposed to what God said, because God said in in the previous chapter, when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And Satan says, no, not necessarily. So he's sowing some doubt there. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves." Georgia is the first country in the world that I've ever lived in, maybe Zimbabwe too, but I I didn't see them in Zimbabwe, but that had fig trees. And figs have nice big leaves, so they were useful for this purpose. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And now we'll do a little bit of passing the buck, as we call it in English. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Your fault, God. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. She's also trying to pass the buck. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And at least there is our first little glimmer of hope here in in verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So there's going to be this confrontation between the snake and the offspring of the woman, which is ultimately fulfilled in the death of Jesus and the, and the, the, the victory that he gains over Satan by crushing his head. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. 
Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And maybe, as a friend of mine recently speculated with me, maybe before this fall, Adam and Eve were absolutely equal in leadership. But we'll leave that as an open question. From, from now on, he will rule over her. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them, clothed them. And this is perhaps the first reference to the necessity of a sacrifice to cover sin. Because animal skins were used to cover Adam and Eve. And they had to be killed and skinned. And, and the Lord God said, the man, who is now, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. For the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, which are a kind of angel, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. The thing I want to emphasize here is various kinds of separation that happened as a result of the fall of our ultimate ancestors. So the first one is the separation of us from God. We are separated from God. We're separated from each other. Each of us is separated from ourselves inside, and we're separated from nature. These are the ways in which we, our relationships are broken. And it's a, it's a terrible situation, and if you look at the world, you can see that the world is in a dire place despite the fact that it's so beautiful and so magnificent and there's glory all over the place and we have all these wonderful sights and sounds and smells and tastes, it's still a magnificent place and yet it's, in a sense, it's ruined and there's this thing called entropy, which is a scientific way of saying that everything, everything gets spoiled, everything decays and rusts and falls apart and doesn't last the way it's supposed to last so more of the result of creation's fall, because the whole universe is fallen. From Romans 8, 18 to 23. I don't think I have that on a slide. Um, or if I do, yeah, there we go. Okay. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility or hopelessness, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, that's God, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, 
we also groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That is the current state of the universe. This is the bad news that we are in. We are fallen. The universe is fallen. The universe is winding down. According to whichever cosmological viewpoint you, you consider, that they're all without God, either everything is going to get cold and dark and so far apart that even the stars can't shine anymore, or it's all going to come together in a great big crunch that'll take, apparently, billions and billions and billions of years before it reaches the singularity, and then it'll explode out again in an endless cycle. But like I said, these are cosmological viewpoints that have nothing to do with the presence of God, because God forbid that God should be in the picture. Um, anyway, rather a pessimistic viewpoint of what the, the fate of the universe would be like, assuming there is no God. Thank God we know that there is a God, and we have much more hope than, than atheist scientists. Not all scientists are atheists, but these ones are. Um, now could we go to those rather strange three slides, please? So, you know what that is? That's rust. I'm one of these strange people who can find beauty in the strangest places. And one of the, one of the places that I find beauty in is in decay. That is just rust on a piece of sheet metal. Another one? That's just cracked paint. But somehow... I don't know if it's just me. I don't know if anyone else can relate to this, but I find beauty in these, in these strange places, even in this fallen world that we live in. And I, I, I still manage to, to rejoice in the beauty that I find in the strangest places. I'm not going to say that I find rotting food beautiful, um, although I love the taste of cheese that, for Georgians, has way too much mold on it. But that's, I, I don't like the look of mold, but I certainly like the taste. Another one. Okay, there, that's just rust. That's all it is, rust on metal. But, well, that's one of my, one of my favorite photographs. You can find beauty in all the, all the strangest places in this fallen world and this fallen universe. This is what I'm trying to say here. One more, please. I think I have it in the, in the right order. Yeah. Now that, have you ever seen, I'm sure a lot of people can relate. You put some string away nicely and you come back I don't know, a few days or a week later, and you've got this. And it's not only that, but there are knots in it, tied in it. And you have to look at it and go, what is wrong with the universe? My string has made knots. You know, this is one of my private, that's now becoming public, frustrations. You know, this kind of thing makes me crazy. I, I don't usually rant and rave about it to my wife or go screaming about the neighborhood. My string has knots in it! But it's how I feel inside. And it, this is a symbol for me of the fallenness of the universe. Okay? It, okay, it's a little weird, but this is who I am. String makes knots without even, you know, you put it away in a drawer somewhere. The drawer isn't moving. There isn't an earthquake. There isn't even a slight tremor. But the string somehow does that. And it makes me crazy. This is our fallen world, I'm sorry to say, but this is, this is what we live in, okay? Things break, things break down, things don't work out. And the ultimate thing that happens to everything that's alive is it dies. So even stuff that isn't alive can, can make us crazy. But, you know, I, I lost a good friend of mine, my, my, actually one of my closest friends in Georgia, on the 6th of December. He had a stroke. 
Um, and 10 days later, he was gone. And I never got a chance to see him in intensive care and whisper some rather important words in his ear. Just remember who your savior is, buddy. But he'd heard that from me a lot. So I had to trust God. He'd heard it from me before then. I have to trust God that he's in the right place. But every day, I'm now thinking of Nodar and that he's gone. And I wanted to show you this. I wanted to do that with you. I wanted to, to call you up and, and say Happy New Year. But, but you're not here anymore, man. You know, and my heart is broken. And um, this is death. And even Jesus wept at death because death is ugly. You know, decay can be beautiful and fascinating, but death itself. You know, I've seen, I've seen so many dead bodies in this country because I've been to so many funerals of people that I knew. And except for this last guy, maybe because his body was, was very recently deceased, all of them don't look like the person that I remembered. And, and I'm thinking, oh, it's just a shell. This isn't, this isn't the important part, but wow, does it really lose something when the spirit goes out of it? You know, and it's just, it, it's horrible to look at. And I, I don't want to see that, you know. But, you know, we, we go to the wake and we weep and we wail or we, we you know, we look, we look down, downcast and we put a kiss on the brow of this, of this dead body that, that, that doesn't contain anything alive anymore and it's starting to decay itself eventually, you know. And this is death and death is awful, you know. And who, who, who of us has not lost someone a friend, a relative, a pet, whatever, you know, it's just death, you know, and this is where we're at. And I'm sorry, but it's the bad news. And before we can get to the good news, which we will get to in my next message and probably before that, you know, the good news of, of, of redemption, we have to acknowledge that we are in a bad place. We're all going to die sooner or later, you know, and sometimes it'll happen just like that. And sometimes it'll take far longer than we would ever want it to happen with a whole lot of suffering. But we know that as believers, we have a better thing waiting for us. And that is the thing that we have hope for that the world does not have. You know, when people who are atheists, I've, I've, I've read or heard or seen what they, what they say, you know, I, I have to make the most of this life because this is all that there is for me. And then, and then I cease to exist, you know. So I'm going to do whatever I can to, to enjoy myself or to make the world better or whatever, you know, and then I'm gone. And there's only memories of me, and I hope that someone will remember me, and maybe I was good or whatever. But, you know, it's so hopeless to, to, to be stuck there, to have this, this emptiness. I will cease to exist. What is that? What is that? Cease to exist. And maybe they, they haven't thought about it hard enough because... To cease to exist just means that there's, there's not even anything going to hell. There's just nothing, you know. But we, we, we know differently, which is, which is scary, you know. So this is where we're at. You know, we're in this, in this dark place. And sometimes the world can try and, and give good news that just isn't enough. And it's something that we laugh at, at and something that, that, you know, tries to pull us up out of the darkness that we're in. But we're... You know, we're in it. We're in it together. Even though we wait for something good, we wait for the redemption of our bodies. Our, our souls and our spirits are, our, our spirit is taken care of. Our soul is being redeemed and our body is just getting old. <laughs> you know, but ultimately, even our body is going to be redeemed. And ultimately, all this separation that we have is going to become, hello, 
going to become hello. It's going to become welcome, good and faithful servant. It's going to become the final rejoicing, the final marriage supper of the Lamb, probably with the Georgians as Tamada. Um, and it's, it's going to be fantastic, and it's going to last for the rest of, of time. And maybe, you know, maybe eternity will, will have change in it. I don't know, but I, I, I do not expect that it's going to be boring, whatever it is. You know, it's going to be glorious, and we will get there. I'm only offering, offering you a kind of tiny little zakuska, a tiny little foretaste of what that's going to be like, but we're not there yet. We're waiting with all of creation. We're groaning. That's what we're doing inside, right? God, get me out of this. God, I'm sick of this. God, I've had enough. Wait, wait, wait. That's, that's where we're at. No. Okay, so here's a big question for you. So let's say that God is outside of time, yeah? God isn't in time. I guess we can agree on that. It's, it might not be that correct, if we look at it this way, to say that God knows the future. It, it might be more correct to say God is already at the future as well as at the past. He's at all times. He sees them all as one thing. It's not like he predicts the future or he knows the future because if he's outside of time, then, then he's not going through time the way that we are. So our, in our limited viewpoint, we can only see one side of this sphere, which is, which is time. It's, a, it's, a, it's opaque. We can't see the other side of it. We can't see around the back of it like we can't see the dark side of the moon, right? But for God, it's all made out of glass. And he sees the whole thing as one unity. If you can imagine God like that, being outside of time. Okay. If that's the case... Why would he make a universe and a supreme angel and a beautiful couple that are all going to fall? Why would he do that if, he, if he's outside of time? Why, God? Why is there so much suffering? This is kind of the big question that, that leads a lot of people away from the idea of an all-powerful, all-loving God. Why would he make... A universe that's going to unwind into chaos and disorder and frustration and futility and the death of my pet puppy and all the rest of it. Why, 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 God? Why was there a tsunami that killed over 100,000 people a few, I don't know how long ago it was, 10 years ago or whatever? You know, so many people died in one go. Why, God? Why, are we, why do we live like this when you're all powerful? And we, well... Try reading a little book by C.S. Lewis called The Problem of Pain, where he deals with the subject very, very, very well. Not only is the English beautiful and well-written, but he gets to the heart of the matter why, what the purpose of pain is and what the problem of pain is and how to deal with it. It's a, it's a book that I hardly recommend because I can't solve the, the question for you right now. But... God knows, and ultimately, if God sees all of this, this universe that was created perfect, we that were created perfect, and everything fell, and, and Lucifer fell, God knows that ultimately it's all going to serve his purpose, and he's going to be glorified, and when we, when we are face-to-face with God, we're not going to have any more whys. We're just going to say, God, I get it. I finally understand. Because scripture also says in 1 Corinthians 13, we will know as we are known. The way that God knows us, which is perfectly, we will know, we will understand, and we will not be able to say, God, 
anymore. Why? We will just say to God, I understand. I can finally rest in knowing the fullness of the truth and why all of this had to happen. And it's not a waste. It's ugly and messy. But still, God, still, you're above it all. And you are right. And anyone who contradicts you is, is wrong. And now I see it. I understand, God. That is our hope. Can we, can we hold on to that when the world is very messy? You know, when there's a terrorist attack, when there's a war, when there's a famine, when there's a death in the family, or even my own death staring me in the face. Can we, can we just remember, I have hope. And tell other people, I have hope. I have hope. It's real. I'm not making this up. This is something I believe in with all of my strength. Because if I don't, then I have to admit that my own life is futile and everything that exists is futile. But it ain't. It ain't. I believe it. I believe it. And I'm not going to let it go. I'm going to cling to it with all my strength. Not because if I don't, I'm going to have a nervous breakdown, but because I believe it. I really believe it. There is bad news, but there's also good news. And we're going to deal with the good news more thoroughly later on. So this is what awaits us, something that will never rust, never decay, never rot, never fall apart. It will exist as a new creation that is either going to be rolled up like a scroll or burnt, according to different passages in Scripture, and then remade. Incorruptible is one way of describing it. It won't be corrupted anymore. It won't rust. It won't break. It won't fall apart. It'll just be Good to go. It won't be eaten by moths. All of that stuff that we lay up in heaven, that we invest in heaven, is incorruptible. And that's where, that's where the bank vault is, where all of, that, all of those things that we have preserved, the lives of the people that we have led to faith, our own lives that we have given to God in faith, those things will be pure gold, come through fire, refined and perfect, and thank God that's the end of it. So, yeah, like I said, there's bad news. You know, the bad news is pretty stinking awful. But the good news outshines it like a candle outshines any darkness that's around. Or just a little bit of light is enough. And boy, when you turn on the sun, darkness flees from it. Because that is how powerful the good news is. That is the reality of what awaits us. So please don't be downcast by the bad news. I know maybe you don't even need reminding of how messed up the world is, but we have good news, which is, which is above all of that on a whole separate plane. One day the curtain is going to be lifted and we will start living our real lives of which this is a shadow with all of its beauty and all of its magnificence. It's a shadow. Can you take that? Can you, can you receive that? Is that okay? Is that, is that hope? Good. Because now we need, to, we need to have hope for this year. This is the first day of a new year. And we need to enter this year, whatever this year is going to bring us, individually and as humanity. We need to cling to hope. Because everything that one-third of the, of, the, of the fallen angels and their master are against us. But thank God that Jesus is for us. And if he is for us, who can stand against us? Amen.
This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.